Welcome to The Writing Life, the podcast for anyone who writes. I'm James Gill from the National Centre for Writing, and as always, I'm here at our home, Dragon Hall, in Norwich. This episode is a Writing Life special to celebrate Noirich, the 2022 Norwich Crime Writing Festival here in our fine city. This year, the festival ran from the 8th to the 10th of September and featured events and crime and noir luminaries, including Janice Hallett, Emma Bamford, Vasim Khan and Charlie Hickson. The festival also featured Ukrainian-born American and French artist and writer Yelena Moscovich, who, by the way, is currently staying at the cottage here at Dragon Hall. Yelena has written for Vogue, The Times Literary Supplement, Paris Review and many more. She has also just released her third novel, A Door Behind a Door, an exploration of the post-Soviet diaspora. We invited our friend, creative writing tutor and the godmother of domestic noir, Julia Crouch, to interview Yelena. And what a conversation it was. Strap in for a lively discussion about routes to becoming a writer, identity as a writer, ownership of your art, reading, what is crime writing, ideas of hell and much, much more. And you can look forward to another episode with Julia in which we explore how to grip your reader, which is a great conversation, useful to writers of any genre, and it's coming soon. For more information about our residencies, virtual or here at Dragon Hall, head to our website, nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. And just before we go to Julia and Yelena, I have enough time to tell you that our September term courses have begun. But worry not, our January term courses will be on sale soon. Do you want to kickstart your writing? Take it to the next level? Well, our courses are online, have tutors like Julia, and include one-to-one feedback on your work. And with beginners and intermediate courses in a range of different genres, we can get you writing and help you become the writer you want to be. Head to the website to find out more. And now, without further delay, I bring you Julia Crouch in conversation with Yelena Moskovich. Probably just what, I, what, what I'm really nosy. So, uh, and we've got lots to talk about. So, okay. so I want to start off, first of all, by asking you what you're doing in Norwich. <laughs> So, You're staying in a cottage, yes? Yes, I'm staying in a cottage. I was invited to speak at the Noir Witch uh, yes. Festival, which is a crime festival. Um, and the invitation came to me with like a, a sort of self-realization because I didn't really know I was a crime writer until I was oh, like, yes. <laughs> yeah, invited to speak uh, about crime writing, but um so yeah I was invited here and then the National Center for Writing um gave me a week and a half residency in conjunction with this lecture and I'm also um, giving a, a workshop that's sort of in line with some questions and passions I have around writing yeah is that is that the uh the the, the body workshop the, um, yeah the yeah one? yeah have you done it yet yeah. or not is it coming up no coming? no it's it's this Friday yeah Oh, how exciting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm connected to Norwich in that I, I have just re- until recently I've been visiting fellow. I was kind of like a, like, oh, okay. a, like one of those cousins in the Victorian novel I was visiting for about four years. <laughs> um, oh, but yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, so and I'm really sad to miss you because I normally would be there at Noirich, mm-hmm. uh, but because there was no there was no money for me to come. I didn't oh, I didn't come because okay. I'm a bit skin at the moment. But um, yeah, but yeah, but it's, I, I really um, I really wanted to hear your keynote, and actually, I did manage to get hold of the transcript. So, oh, um, good, good, yeah, okay. So I can can refer to that today if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, so, 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 have you have you have you been into the Dragon Hall? Isn't this amazing? <laughs> yes, I've discovered. So, I was shown Dragon Hall the first day, and then I've kind of pitter pattered around the the city 
So I've kind of, I've gotten glimpses and I've really been enjoying sort of how small and intimate that I don't know if this is like, you know, a faux pas to talk about how small a, a small city is because I know there's some pride involved in, in the size, but um, yeah, because I come from Paris and it's a very big city and yeah, uh, it's a little, for me, it's a little fatiguing. <laughs> so actually, I've it's been, got, I love, yeah. I love Norwich. I love, I love the fact yeah. that it's so ancient and the ancient, yeah. kind of, the, sort of, it's a bit like Rome in that respect, isn't it? That the ancient kind of uh, nestles up against the, the modern so yeah. kind of intimately. And the cathedral, have you been there yet? Yes. And I love the courtyard uh, yeah. with the, with the labyrinth in the middle. It's, yeah, yeah it's really just breathtaking. The, the light that comes through and, the peace it's like it's a really great container of of calm and quiet yeah great so it's a great I find it greatly inspirational have you been to the yeah. um, the oh god what's it called the St. Ju- Julian's St. Julian's Chapel I passed by it um it's I think worth I, going in and reading her story yeah 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 so I the first couple of days I was sort of I, I think I closed all the literal do- doors and all the figurative doors. And I just kind of went into my writing because also the residency is an opportunity for me to sort of have some concentrated writing time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I think I was a bit of a latecomer to actually stepping out <laughs> into yeah. the, into the real world, so to speak. So yeah. I'm, ca- this week is my catch up week to, yeah. you know, go out for the site. Cause, yeah. Cause she had the, the kind of the dream gig really uh, back in the middle ages for, for, for women um, to be an anchorite, which meant that you kind of had mm. a space that you were kind of sealed inside a cell where you could just get on with what you wanted and people bring you uh, food. You didn't have to do anything yeah. except write and pray. I mean, obviously the praying bit would be a challenge for me, but I really like the, I yeah. kind of like the idea of being an anchorite. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, so Julian of Norwich was, uh, was was one okay. of them. Um, so yeah, but I can understand that kind of pull between being somewhere that's kind of amazing and also yeah. being there to write because it's that yeah. division, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. it, between the real world and the imaginary world? And, and yeah. you know, as a writer, you have to feed on the real world and bring it back to your desk. Yeah, but, uh, but also you need to put those hours in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think also sometimes we just need to go somewhere else to like lock ourselves away from a new location so I don't yeah. think it's as much like oh no of course I I love you know discovering a new city or a new location but I think part of at least the residencies that I've experienced is going somewhere to also to be blind in a different landscape <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's exactly it isn't it so you feel guilty about not going somewhere else <laughs> going yeah. out somewhere else yeah, I think I yeah, I don't I don't feel guilty, but maybe it's I don't know if it's my like Slavic or Jewish background. I'm like, no, I, I feel OK with uh, it. <laughs> I wish I had that. <laughs> my whole definition is based on guilt, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I've been noticing that with the kind of like Christian Catholic. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. 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 Oh, well, yes. So. um, So. Am I right? You've written three novels to date. Um, the Natasha's yeah. Virtuoso and A Door Behind a Door. I've read A Door Behind a Door and I loved it. And oh, I'm just kind of, I had to I had to tear myself away from Virtuoso oh, too. So, thank you. Okay. So, uh, so I really, really love your writing. I think it's really um oh vibrant and muscular and transgress transgressive and um and 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 I love 
I love the rule breaking that goes on there, the formal rule, rule, rule breaking, as well as the kind of, you know, the, the, the dealing with transgression and the whole kind of experience of the, the, the migrant experience and the and the outsiderness and the queerness. I, I love all of that. So um, so that's a great place to start, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and uh, and I've got so many questions, but I think I'm going to start with um, the the, the thing we the big I mean we're obviously we're fr- sort of from different parts of the world entirely mm-hmm. metaphorically and literally but um the thing we do have in common is theatre mm-hmm. and you 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 started off wanting to be an act like me you started off wanting to act and you went to Le Coq, which I'm so jealous about <laughs> yeah tell me about well, that about that kind of impulse so I actually wanted to be an actor for like a very hot second. It was like a year when I was like 15. And then I quickly discovered that actually what I really wanted was to write characters Mm -hmm, more mm -hmm, than mm -hmm. act. So I started writing, yeah, around that same age and then kind of fell in love with playwriting and, and then directing. And then that kind of opened up a lot of questions for me in terms of movement and the like collaborative creation like did playwriting have to be me writing it and then giving it off and then the actors learning the words you know what what kind of um kind of call and response could we have during the process so that sort of led me then to I did my um undergrad in dramatic writing and I guess like they let me I think put a title on it like experimental theater or something like this I just put experimental, I think, on whatever I do. But, um, and then, yeah, I went to Paris to specifically go to Jacques Lecoq because I had read uh, Jacques Lecoq's uh, Le Corps Poétique, which is, I think, The Moving Body, Mm -hmm. um, which was really, really inspiring. And I felt like, oh, okay, there's actually like a kindred method to some of the things that I was trying to do that I couldn't quite figure out how to... I mean, of course, I'd seen things that were like a happening or somewhere between an installation and movement piece or something, but I hadn't really read someone with a specific method and process and approach to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what really drew me to Lecoq. But I think it was really in the sense for me at that point, I had, I mean, really, I'd only want to be an actor for a year. And since then, even though I do performing every now and then, but it's more like for me, it's just a way to be part of my writing. I yeah, yeah. Don't, don't really want to be an actor. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I got I got disabused of that 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 uh, that ambition when I was very young as well. Mm-hmm. When uh, I, I I think largely because I realised I wasn't anywhere near as good as my peers on my drama course. Mm-hmm. I did drama at university in Bristol okay. in, in England. Um, but I do have quite a few friends that went through the Paris kind of Lecoq or Gaulier. Ah schools mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and um and and they all I mean they're all kind of like in their 50s 50s some of them in their 60s now and they all look back on it with kind of like um oh these were my golden years this was this is where I really really lived and it was oh, hard wow. hard hard mm-hmm. work yeah yeah because you learn I think at Lecoq there's no kind of um writing stuff down is there there's all about making the work with your body and yeah yeah I think now in the past years some of the pedagogy is kind of put into question because it is a bit not just harsh but I think the approach is maybe doesn't lend itself to um 
I don't know, it kind of comes from this like patriarchal heritage of saying like, here's the authority figure, here are the guidelines. And there's actually no leeway for anyone to have a different language with the guidelines. So some of that is being put into question. So I personally, I mean, I come from a Slavic background. I think I'm just someone that really thrives on discipline. So for me, um, I really enjoy, I think the discipline is something I lacked in America because I was just like, why are you, come on, like, I don't, I don't need compliments. I don't. And then I went to Lecoq and I was like, okay, ow, (laughs) you know, maybe I don't need as much. Tell me when I'm doing it wrong. Tell me when I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. 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 And it was, I think what I really enjoyed about Lecoq was the precision that, you know, you had, um, we had everything that we were doing was collaborative. So it was also learning to work with people that sometimes you couldn't stand. Um, and sometimes you would kind of be forcefully put with these people, I guess, yeah. to do some sort of character building for yourself. But um, then we had, you know, when we had the sort of weekly performances, like these short performances of what we had created that week in front of the teachers, which was kind of a jury, we would start. And if any point we didn't, you know, if any point that the, the, our like level of acting became a bit slack, um, they just stopped us and said, thank you. And we couldn't continue. So there was this precision that actually every moment mattered and you couldn't just Mm -hmm. throw things away and get to the next one because you wouldn't get that chance. Mm -hmm. Wow. I got a bit, um, waylaid by Grotowski in my early twenties, which is probably, you're probably quite familiar with. Love yeah. all that yeah. physical stuff mm-hmm. and that, those kind of extended in, in, improvisations where you're encouraged to make manifest the metaphorical it's yeah. just kind of met, or metaphysical it was it was yeah. kind of it was just uh it was it was wonderful and empowering mm. and brilliant but again yes the kind of the, that that patriarchal authority the kind of down through the people who had worked with the man himself I was te- working with someone who had worked with him and there was yeah. this line and and there was kind of and there was a slight rebellion in on certain of the camps mm-hmm. I went to. There were lots of women and kind of there was a little bit of an uprising occasionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's, well, I mean, maybe this is on another note, but I think it's very different, very difficult. Like we haven't quite conceived how to have like a, like a new world type of discipline because so much mm-hmm. of discipline is tied to sort of the, I mean, the existing power structure that we've inherited that obviously more and more we realize is not serving us, but we don't really know because part of that power structure is this discipline that actually we need, we don't need necessarily that discipline, but we need discipline and we haven't quite imagined and also actualized what it would look like. And I think that's, it's really hard as a like a creator because you can't, create without discipline so there's mm-hmm. I think a, yeah yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a self-regulation a kind of anarchic self-regulation that mm. is, is required of us as creators isn't there yeah. kind of that we have to really manage ourselves and in order yeah. to do that we have to understand how management works in the in the outside world and examine it and re- reject or accept structures that yeah, kind of imposed from outside. I mean, I think we're in a in a state of terminal collapse at the moment in terms of society, yeah. in terms of capitalism. It's very mm-hmm. exciting to be alive right now, if a little challenging at times. 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, as 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 it's interesting. I was talking with some friends last night, all kind of again in their fifties and sixties, and um, talking about queerness and and mm. and and relating to you know how the experience of that is challenging for older women and 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 kind of the whole trans debate and everything and then mm. and then how you know our daughters are say, or our children are saying mm-hmm. um I want to, I don't want these pronouns anymore and yeah. how that the yeah. idea of female pronouns is something to be that we fought for as kind of a positive assertive thing is now being mm. is, it's hard not to see it as a rejection but it is a, it's yeah. actually an evolution and we have to kind of understand that and yeah. um, and and ride with it and kind of you know be alive to question it but also you know it's change and change is happening at such a rapid pace so to yeah. kind of pull this back to yeah. writing yeah. Um, <laughs> um it's it's interesting that you're talking about about um about structure and, and in a way let's let's kind of stick with theater a little bit and that mm-hmm. kind of collaborative enterprise in writing because obviously now as authors we both kind of mm-hmm. are kind of queens of queens or whatever monarchs yeah. shall i say to genderize <laughs> it of our of our destinies um mm-hmm. and the destinies of our creative work although i i have i have probably am less kind of in command than you are in terms of you know form and commerciality and all of that we'll talk about that later but Mm -hmm. devising work working collaboratively in the theater I that's what I did and Mm. you know I had a theater company called Public Parts and we devised and and I I was direct devising director stroke writer I I called it kind of scribe really because I wrote up yeah rather than wrote Mm-hmm. and um and we did about 11 shows over a period of about 10 years and until oh, wow. basically okay. until basically I had kids and I just couldn't do it anymore because yeah. <laughs> you know you need you need 24 hours a day to do that yeah, sort of thing. yeah and yeah. I love the democratic nature of it I love the fact that all the scripts we produce then are owned by everyone the, from the from the actors to the director to the stage manager to the woman who worked in the office who put the kind of the the kind of whole economic structure mm. in place for us to do that work yeah. so you know everything was owned jointly and and you mm. know, every input was valid whatever it was um mm. what was your experience of, of working collaboratively and devising I think actually I yeah I would say that that aspect was a bit frustrating for me because I think I'm I'm kind of a lone wolf at heart. And at the same time, I think like this life has taught me a lot about being collaborative in in my personal and creative life. So I think that's just where I've needed to learn to be a bit more flexible. But at the same time, I think I've also learned to respect my own working process, which is that I the words are in a sense, my own, they're my responsibility and my euphoria and my, and so I think that, I mean, there's different ways of working. And so I was working with people that each brought something that they were in a sense, maybe responsible for, or they were in a sense, it was, it was sort of there. So it wasn't that everything belonged to everyone. And it definitely wasn't um, democratic because there are people that had a say about certain things and there was still a hierarchy. I was still the director, so I was I was the one that sort of had a say about the cohesive vision and direction. Um, but it just wasn't, you know, a totalitarian approach. So of course, I was open to, you know, hearing um, this or that or, or collaborating sort of in between the lines. But I think it w- the division was still quite clear, and I think that's something that I need. And part of the reason why I left theater, other than you 
I mean, this is a whole nother topic, but either you need to be patroned by someone with a lot of money and resources, or you need to already have that, or you need to have some sort of martyr-like energy to give up your whole life to do theater, um, which I didn't have. And also I just missed kind of being wholly in charge of, of my words and what I do and and also not being so dependent on the resources and the time of others, which mm-hmm. can be beautiful, but is also just really difficult when you when you still struggle stay. so much to, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. I really just missed writing and it was so nice to just have me and my words on the page and my word yeah. document and yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I always say that it's um for me writing novels is 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 a bit like the devising process with actors except there's no fucking actors <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> so so you know so so it's I mean I, I I think I learned a lot from from working in that way about you know kind mm-hmm. of about dialogue about about status transactions about because that because when I'm talking with writers who haven't come through theatre and you talk about status it, it mm-hmm. kind of people go what wow yeah. and and of course those of us that have kind of worked in that field we know about you know kind of you know those games, those theatre games where you've number yeah. one six and all of that, and yeah. um, and and it it can be such a really um uh, oh and and the other the other thing is actioning. You know the um they do it a lot in when they're using text based plays now. They sit down and for the first week every mm-hmm. they just they just work, work through the the text uh, assigning a verb to each um what am I ah. doing with this speech? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh-huh. that kind of unlayers. It's a kind of yeah. it's a uh, Matt Stafford Clark kind of coined mm-hmm. it and in mm-hmm. his in his book Letters to George, um, uh, and it's a way of kind of unraveling the subtext or the intention behind action because very often, as we know as writers and mm-hmm. as people, that we don't often say what we mean and we don't often mm-hmm. do with a, what our words imply that we're doing with them. Yeah. So that's that's a, that mm-hmm. can be a really interesting way to look at writing. Um, yeah. So. So, so, so this um, kind of uh, wanting to kind of I won't say retreat, but advance into your mm-hmm. study on your own. Did that yeah. come gradually, or was it kind of like right? I'm done with that. I'm now doing this. Or was there a segue? I think it uh, it felt very sudden, but I'm sure that it was more gradual than it felt. But I think it was also there were a lot of things that were being kind of wrapped in one. Where I was in France with. A student visa and I was f- finishing my st- I had gotten already a master's and basically if I wanted to stay in France I could go and try to get a PhD just to re-get the visa but I just am not uh, I'm not very interested in studying and I think I already the fact that I made it till the master's was more for my visa um, even though I'm very fascinated by examining but not in I think and not in an academic structure which I think is very funny because I teach but uh yeah 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 and, and you're but, right I mean I've read I've read your writing some of your writing and it strikes me as kind of like I was a bit like oh wow <laughs> so, <laughs> so much kind of quoting of Barnes here and, yeah. and kind of philosophy and stuff yeah and, and I felt a bit kind of like oh gosh <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're yeah, yeah. a very academic person but obviously obviously yeah. you're, you're a lot lot more than that um yeah. and and you also said which I found really interesting you read very slowly and that informs yeah. your, the form of your writing. I'm a really yeah. slow reader too, and oh, it's a real yeah. drawback as a writer yeah. that, that well, you're supposed to read all these books. And I think I think this is the thing, like that writers we have such a uh, such a 
a vision and almost like an idolatry of the of the identity of the writer. And so anyone that kind of starts out writing or once we start to like develop ourselves as, as a writer, we have also a responsibility to recreate, you know, to have the writer be what what we are. And so who says that a writer needs to read a lot? And who says that, a you know, like, or what, I mean, and what, what does it mean to read a lot? I, I think this whole thing about quantity, like, what is it? We don't know. Like some people have, I mean, a lot of people have a very different relationship to language. So for them to read a sentence and the space that a sentence will have inside them and the way that they'll carry that sentence can be must much bigger and more vast than someone who has read three novels in that time. Yeah. So I think it's very hard to start comparing these things. And I know that I'm, I'm a slow reader and I am slightly dyslexic. I think part of it had to do with the fact of sort of learning three alphabets at a young age and possibly with my immigration. Um, But at the same time, I, yeah, I, this is, this is who I am and I write that's why I think I, I really every word is uh, is felt and given as intensely as I feel it, and I'm someone that is highly sensitive. So I I would be that person for whom a phrase, a word, a line would um, have so much impact. And sometimes it's it's like you know when you see an art piece, you can't maybe see the whole collection. Maybe just that art piece is so overwhelming in the best of ways that you just need time to live live that experience for a while thank you you have given me the non-guilty explanation <laughs> yes my, please don't my feel inability to, to, to motor through books yeah, yeah. I've always, yeah I always kind of I have my to be read pile um of mm-hmm. books that are sent to me by friends who are writers or sent to me mm-hmm. by publicists as proof copies and and I mm-hmm. just it takes me so long and you know anyway. yeah but I but I yeah. as I say I I ate yours up because oh, partly because yeah. they're read by they're written by a slow reader or yeah. a slow reader because they are yeah. I, I thought when I was uh the, the door behind the door behind a door behind a door <laughs> that um I thought this is a series of this is kind of this reminds me of a, a play script the way it's the way it's mm. um mm-hmm. set out but it also kind of feels like a series of poems so mm. uh, but, but they're very intimately narratively linked so yeah. um so uh my novels are kind of much more traditional and much more um, uh, commercially kind of mm-hmm. generated than yours. But obviously, I didn't start off like that. And mm-hmm. and when I wrote my first novel, Cuckoo, which was published in 2011, um, mm-hmm. my agent said to me, do you know what you've written? And, and I said, well, I thought it was kind of because I was exploring mm-hmm. consciousness as narrative. So I thought it mm-hmm. was kind of um, possibly something a bit Virginia Woolfy because I'm mm-hmm. a great fan of Virginia Woolf. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, you've written a crime novel. And I was horrified because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was such a snob about crime fiction. Oh, yeah. Um, and since then, obviously, I've read loads and loads and loads of crime fiction. Slowly, read loads yeah. and loads of crime fiction, and um, and I've I've come to appreciate the kind of the the, the discipline mm-hmm. as we were talking about earlier, and the um, the, uh, the 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 
the politics of crime fiction, the, 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 mm-hmm. the, 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 the way it kind of can hold a mirror up to a society and kind of unpick it and examine it, the best of crime fiction, that is, um, that, that it kind mm. of, rather than being exploitative, it's, it's the reverse of exploitative, that it's actually, it's actually tends to be fairly kind of socialist in its kind of impulses um, and, um, and can kind of just get under the skin of, mm. of, of, of a world in a way that possibly other genre fictions and literary fiction can't always manage in such a kind of, I, I suppose, accessible way as well, um, I'm thinking, because because of the story carrying it. Now, you're probably rejecting about 20 things I've just said there. <laughs> no. <laughs> but but, um, but um, in a sense, I mean, that's, that's what your work does. Mm-hmm. When did you come to the realisation that you were a crime writer, and how did you feel about that? Uh, well, yeah. Well, as like, you said, when you were invited to talk at Noir. Yeah, so when I was invited, yeah, to talk at the festival, that's when I, yeah, that's when I had to really face, I mean, face sounds the like accusation. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> and, but I didn't, the thing is, I didn't have that association with crime writing, because for uh-huh. me, everything in genre, and I'm so... I think uh, disillusioned and dare I say disappointed by everything that is called literary fiction. So I'm like, why? I think it's so elitist to, yeah, Yeah. I don't know. So for me, I didn't really have that outlook. It was more like, oh, oh, did I, you know, did I overlook something in my own, in my own creation? Like, did I, how, how are, you know, did I not see something that is so evident or something? Um, and so, and actually I was asked to, I was pitched to write this piece for, um, this piece about crime fiction. Yeah. yeah, And uh, yeah. And so that's where I sort of, I wrote that every Russian, uh, novel is a, is a crime novel. Um, and that was sort of my first curiosity about, okay, well, you know, it's true. It seems very evident. I mean, of course I, on a very basic level, I have murders and crimes in all three of my novels. Um, And I also have like a lot of kind of surreal or metaphysical crimes of like someone that killed someone in this time frame or this time zone and is suddenly somewhere else, you know? Yeah. So for me, it was actually a really stimulating proposition of a way to look at language and form. And I thought, hold on. Okay. Because really for me, it doesn't matter what genre anything is. I just want something to be happening that's sort of alive and exciting with language and form. And so I thought, okay, well, what does actually, what is the essence of crime? Um, what would it feel like or what, how can we conceive it if it was, you know, a language being spoken instead of a story being told? And that was sort of the lecture um, that I gave because it was the sort of burning question that I was left with after realizing that I was a crime writer was, you know, what if crime wasn't about a story, but it, it was about a language? Yeah, about, about the, 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 um, the, the, the transgression of language, the transgression of... Yes, yeah, exactly. I, uh, I talk about, you know, the criminality of a work and how a language, there's Evgeny Zamyatin, who's a, a Russian novelist who wrote, he wrote We, which is like the science fiction, but uh, he also wrote The Flood, which is actually a very lesser known crime, surreal kind of crime fiction. 
but he he said I don't remember from where this is from but he said the world is kept alive by heretics and I think literature is kept alive by heretics by sort of like heretics of language and so I there is it's not necessarily I mean we can call it a transgression but I don't think it needs to be in relationship to there's a norm and then we transgress the norm what if we're actually purifying what if we're actually look going to the origins and liberating the origins because it doesn't have to be transgressive in the fact that we're assuming that what we have is the foundation and we're going to transgress the foundation yeah yeah so 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 your wonderful final exhortation to your to your uh, to the attendees at the Norwich uh, mm-hmm. uh, keynote speech was um uh, is go to hell and be as terrible 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 <laughs> as you haven't even yet imagined which I just yes. love what a liberating yeah. thought <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah you talk a lot about hell as a place of kind of transgression and truth was it was that what you said uh mm-hmm. yes something like that wasn't it transgression and mm-hmm. truth and it make you make the hell sound an incredibly attractive place <laughs> to be. yeah yeah I mentioned that you know hell I think in the west is sort of unfortunately uh described as this you know derelict atmosphere of of moral suffering and it's this, you know, where everyone will be judged and criticized and, and, um, oh, and punished. Gret, as Gal Gret says in Top Girls, she says, oh, it's a place where the birds have bums with faces that eat you. Yeah, 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 yeah. But actually, I mean, a place where you get judged and criticized and punished sounds a lot like our reality. So why, yeah, would, yeah, yeah. That, why yeah. would that be hell? And so for me, and again, I don't know if it's kind of coming from the Slavic heritage, but Hell is actually this almost beloved place because it's a place where you get to sort of confront and integrate a lot of the the darker or difficult or complex or, yes, inherently painful things. And you get to sort of face that, contemplate it, maybe grapple with it in a way where nothing has to be right or wrong. Actually, morality is finally taken out of the picture and how, whereas in the real world, uh, I don't know, it's not that we can't live without it, but we haven't yet imagined or created a world that, or maybe we can't, I don't know, that's a question for maybe a philosopher yeah we've messed that one up pretty much so far haven't we yes it's kind of like hell sounds like the place where crime fiction happens really where we kind of Mm. where we um where we look at you know what happens if the rules are broken if the rules if if, you know if the rules aren't don't exist if somebody plays without rules then Mm. then what happens and then you hold that up to to what the real world the real world Mm. has and you kind of kind of clash them together and that's where the story, the heart of the story is, isn't it? In that kind of interface between yeah. hell and... Well, I think there's, I mean, if I if I look at sort of what I know of the more traditional crime structure, it's that there's some sort of um, order being broken in terms of either human de- decency or a moral code. And then it's going to be reinstated by some sort of kind of Dante-like seeker, which would be the detective. Um, and at the same time, and so most of us think, and even readers think, oh, okay, so that's sort of the, the journey of a crime novel. But actually the real journey of a crime novel is whatever 
quote unquote evil or rupture in, you know, in the natural laws that happens. It's the darkness that that's going to bring out in the detective. And that's actually the pulse of the story. And every single crime story has that. You can't have a sort of protagonist that's going to face um, a crime without the, the sort of the, the push or the velocity, the emotional velocity of the story being about that person's own darkness. Yes. So, so through 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 whatever happens, they're forced to face themselves, face their inner conflicts, and 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 then and then somehow learn or change, grow in one way or another through the through the process of the the. Yeah. Well, what I like about crime fiction is even though um, sort of on the surface it seems like a lot of you know either the criminals found or there's something that's resolved or wrapped up. But usually in terms of the protagonist and their emotional journey, we're usually left with with that person on the brink. Okay, now they've seen, it's like it took them the whole story to see the darkness. Now what are they going to do with it? And I think that's really, that's really wonderful about that form that actually maybe there's some plot or logistical points that are resolved, but that it takes us to a place to the brink of, of the question. And that's why that's why crime series is so uh, attractive for a writer mm. and for a reader is that that mm-hmm. kind of there's this protagonist that's dragging this ever, or rolling this ever increasing snowball of kind of yeah. like like terrible yeah. terrible things terrible mm-hmm. kind of things learned through terrible doings through yeah. the whole series so yeah it can be really yeah. exciting to to kind of encounter that um so mm-hmm. so talking about endings you talk about how how resolution isn't your thing and mm-hmm. and I'm kind of the same and in fact you know what I have to kind of put my hands up here because what I try to do with my novels mm-hmm. I do try and nudge the form a little bit so, you know, <laughs> like my my last novel the new mother the last but one novel the new mother was kind of partly every other chapter was an Instagram post for example mm-hmm. and um and I've used diary form and I've mm-hmm. I've tried writing from the point of view of a house and um, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm working with the point of view of a dog at the moment without making it cutesy or cozy but Mm -hmm. actually Mm -hmm. um, so 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 I do try and kind of play with form a little bit um, and and quite often one gets um, kind of pulled up by the Amazon reviewers who kind of Mm -hmm. go uh, I didn't understand this or uh, this wasn't yeah. this isn't a proper crime fiction call this a call this a thriller oh, yeah. question mark question mark yeah. anyway yeah uh so so my was it my the her husband's lover my, my the book three books ago um mm-hmm. ends in a very open way mm-hmm. and it was a really kind of and it was a really big punt that because I had two endings I had one where everything was sewn up and one where it was kind of like there is still massive questions and I really like the fact to leave the reader walking mm. away with the kind of the door to because because reading is an mm. immersive experience and and you're in the world of the novel and then as you leave at the end there's a door open a chink in mm-hmm. the in in the wall between the novel and the world and you carry that with you and you're wondering about the characters yeah. and you're you're not everything's tied up because also that's not life nothing is ever tied up neatly yeah you know, we, yeah everything I mean, has its reverberations absolutely I think whenever I teach uh fiction I always say that you know the the pencil has to go off the page at the end of the novel the, the story has to go off it has to fall off the edge of the page yeah um, nice. and I think Otherwise, if it doesn't, then what we have is maybe um, an essay or a treatise or 
or some sort of even academic work, but it's not fiction. And so it's also thinking about what is fiction? What, what can it be? What's its force? And not, that doesn't need to be limiting. It doesn't mean, you know, okay, now we have to say what is fiction and what isn't fiction, but to really use the elements that fiction has that other forms don't have and use them, you know, with the most uh, intent and with the kind of most craft and mastery, because that's when they are going to be the most powerful and the most uh, resonant to the reader and beyond. Um, And my last novel ends with a comma. (laughs) And so it it doesn't really end. Um, And uh, yeah, I won't give you the last line, but it also, uh, I don't want to give that away. Because that's one thing with crime fiction, you can't use spoilers. Yeah, I mean, there's no spoiler. There's absolute. There's nothing that you can, I think, spoil in my novels because there's uh, there's nothing that gives you the oh okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. There's yeah, but um, but I think in terms of the expectation of maybe the industry or the readership, which is actually unfortunately so governed by the the sales aspect of the industry. So I do yeah. wonder yeah. if readers were more liberated as humans, uh, what would their, what would their capacity and desire for literature, what would that be? But, um, but I think that it helps to have disappointed readers early on in one's career, then you're, then um, I think then the fanship that you have and the kinship that you have with readers are readers that are looking to be disappointed in that way. Yeah. And so my kind of most loyal readers even though they're, you know, a small little army, but, you know, they got my back and they come in yeah. and that for every, yeah. you know, yeah. zero star review, they, they'll they just a paragraph about how and why. And, um, right. and so you also see that there's, uh, that there's, you know, the people that need these things that feel disappointed that, that your work doesn't provide these things. The thing is they can find that at every corner. So yes, they were disappointed because maybe they had an expectation. So they were led this way or that way, but maybe they didn't think about the fact that they had this experience that they would never have had. They had an opportunity to be angry in a whole new way. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so where do you think when you're writing, where does the reader sit in your head? Are they kind of like here or are they over there or are they not even kind of, are they behind the curtain? I don't even I think nobody exists when I'm writing I think it's yeah I I don't think of the the reader at all I think I I don't even know where I am I would say it's the it's the closest thing for me that I know to kind of this trance state without making it a grandiose it's not you know it's it's a very banal trance it's not you know but um but yeah I think it's really a place of utmost freedom and I think if I was maybe a virtuoso dancer or something like that then I would I think it would feel equivalent like that to be in my body when I'm like in the air like when I you know so it's it's a place of dancing where I don't think when you're in it I don't think you're conscious of where the lights are where the audience is where maybe it's something you think about in those um, intervals when you're Mm -hmm. prepping or before after but during I don't have that consciousness. 
great how liberating <laughs> I'm so jealous of that too <laughs> um, and uh and so so in terms of uh, sort of your writing process if we can get down to kind mm-hmm. of the more kind of yeah. mundane nitty-gritty <laughs> process things of course where I mean all through I, I, I have to say you know I haven't even well I've, I've got it on a waiting list uh your mm-hmm. first novel the Vanessa mm-hmm. the Natasha the, why the Vanessa's the Natasha's <laughs> um and the the two I have read are very very different in form the formal mm-hmm. approach is kind of, I mean, you're, you're writing in short paragraph verse or, or short mm-hmm. lines and sections yeah. and segments, but it's very, very different. I'd say that kind of in terms of, you know, the traditional form, Virtuoso is, is much closer to mm-hmm. that than the door behind the door, which kind of yeah. explodes form a little further. And mm-hmm. I understand that Natasha's was kind of unconsciously and very, very um, immediately experimental in form, very kind of fragmented yeah. is that right am I right there from my understanding yeah I mean I wrote the Natasha so I didn't you know I worked a full-time day job my whole life and was that type of I mean I always I never really doubted if I was a writer if I was not a writer but for me a writer was just someone that either had money and could write or if it didn't have money had a day job job and then wrote yeah um and I was the latter and so I wrote the Natasha's sort of you know around in the evenings in the mornings whatever on the weekends uh, around this job and I didn't really have any friends that were writers or friends that were kind of bookish in any way um I actually didn't read a lot of novels I mainly read poetry and plays um and the novels that I read I think were very sparse and experimental partly due to my <laughs> difficulty of reading And so I wrote this novel and not thinking about it as, you know, so starkly experimental. And then when I started showing, when I started, you know, also researching, like, what do I do with it now? How do I get it published? And then realizing I have to send it, you know, to agents and editors. And then when I started getting feedback, that was often like, oh, I've never read anything like this before. Oh, wow, you break all the rules. Um, And so for me, that was sort of the blessing of uh, being naive and not naive in the fact that like, oh, I should have read more novels. I don't think anyone should. You just, you know, yeah. I don't think it would change my writing if I read novels or if I don't read novels. People have this way of looking at, you know, the biography of, of writers as if like, oh, that's why you write what you write. It's like, no, that's why it had some sort of influence, but I am who I am and I didn't, I don't need to read you know, I, I could be in prison and only have access to two books and I would still write what I write. Yeah. Obviously yeah. with some different, you know, with a slightly different spectrum of whatever. More prison. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm not in prison and I write a lot about prison. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. So um, so how does that stand with the kind of the university creative writing course model? Because because presumably your day job now uh, kind of, is, is about yeah. teaching as as mine well, is. um now it's it's a little I I'd let then um I I mean it was my day job was also tied to my visa and then once I got a nationality yeah. in in France I could start being freelance so now I'm actually freelance I don't have a necessary like a oh, set day job yeah. um but I was working as a fiction lecturer and the creative writing director of the Paris program of the University of Kent And so I, at first, many years ago, when I was just sort of doing a class here and there for them or workshops, um, 
I felt like, oh, do you, I know I didn't, I didn't teach, I didn't um, learn creative writing. I didn't, you know, study fiction in any way. I also am someone that's like such a, you know, a terrible, like renegade when it comes to the academic structure. So it's like, you want to put me in an authority position where my perspective in being a student is to go against authority. So I'm not sure, is this karma? Like, what is this? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know how I'm going to approach this subject because I also am not sure. I don't think that writing can't be taught. It's not that. It's how do I teach uh, people not to write how to somehow. And also that part of writing is um, unraveling your own moral code and the way that you view yourself and your worthiness as a person, because that translates directly to the um, the freedom and the access that you're giving yourself to language and subject. So little by little, actually, I realized that how that there was a way that I could teach fiction that was actually that filled me that inspired me so much and filled me with so much passion because it was this sort of hybrid of maybe a little bit of a psychological or theoretical approach in terms of questioning, um, yourself and the connotations of worthiness that you have with uh, with language and also your approach to expressing yourself, your relationship to your own voice. And then on the other hand, to really look at, um, to break down language into uh, dynamic elements and mm-hmm. to be able to compose in a sort of non-intellectual way. And so my approach to teaching fiction encompass those two things and I realized that even though right now maybe they sound a bit abstract but it was such an accessible and interactive and dynamic way of teaching and I got such a amazing response from students and I realized actually this is the same way that we view experimental fiction or this approach as it's very heady and tedious and actually it's not it seems a lot more intuitive and people grasp it and seem to write uh, with a lot less complex about writing that's really interesting so it's about a process of liberation rather than kind of yeah. uh, kind of uh, I don't know shackling to a certain sort of form yeah, yeah? um yeah. so so in terms of in terms of your uh, I've we've got to stop soon which is ridiculous because mm-hmm. we've only just I feel like we've only just started yeah. so so what did I really want to know from you oh yeah I wanted to know and this is kind of this again is kind of like I'm I'm a, as you probably have guessed I'm quite practical I'm quite a kind of um mm-hmm. a craft person when it comes I'm very interested yeah. in the craft of writing mm-hmm. um and that's that's kind of more how my my teaching goes so it's completely different to yours um, mm-hmm. but uh but uh, you know I think I think there's there's room for all, everything in this world um and I'm just I'm saying that in defense of my own approach, not to attack to you. Um, I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, but what I want to know is, so when does the form arrive to you? Does it? The, the, do you just start writing and the form presents itself, or do you go, okay, I want to say this. How do I say it? Where or is it? Is it or can you not answer that because they're inexplicable because of this amazing kind of like. Um, moment you put yourself in when you're writing I think I it take before I kind of begin a work I spend a good moment trying to um trying to access how I can feel the work in its entirety but without knowing what would happen 
Um, and so that, that, that takes a lot of non-writing. It takes like a lot of like walking around and kind of imagining and danger, like, yeah, this kind of uh, like uh, melting into a fluid and, and going into every direction. And then at a certain point, I have this very keen, cohesive sense of what it would feel like to read this novel or this work in its entirety. Huh, you know, that reader, feeling, reader, yeah, 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 I guess the reader or me, you know, as the writer, like, yeah. what would it feel yeah. like, what am I left with? And I think because I know what I'm left with, then I can work towards that. And yeah. everything else is discovery. So for me, it's a mood and a feeling that I would be left with when this work is experienced. And as soon as I have that, then I go and then the form... I feel like it's kind of already there and just blossoms as I work. I don't feel like mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. necessarily need to impose. And when I do, the work uh, makes it clear that I can't anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> so so in terms of drafting, do you kind of like write it kind of quick and dirty and then kind of go back and edit? Or do you kind of work in pieces or do you work in fragments and collage or what? Yeah, I actually, I do the thing that... Um, most uh, like especially young writers are told not to do I highly over edit as I go so I'm like writing a sentence editing the sentence writing a sentence editing the sentence then I write a paragraph then I go back to that first sentence I re-edit the sentence so actually when I'm done with my first draft it is very fine-tuned um and I don't need many subsequent drafts um Mm. and if I do they're kind of small changes but I spend a lot of over maybe overly meticulous time because language is it needs to be pitch perfect for me to finish the draft so yeah yeah, I would say the first draft is kind of maybe what one does in like 10 drafts but I also spend a good amount of you know time with that first draft and um do you have a relationship with an editor that kind of you work with or is, is it very much you working on your own I it's actually been very different because I've had different publishers for oh. different novels. So for my first one, I, when I was with Serpent's Tale and I was with Hannah Westland and I was very new you oh, know, to yeah. the industry and everything. And I was also this, I think I'm still the stubborn writer where I wasn't, I didn't know that, you know, an editor was going to be a part of the novel. Like I just thought you just publish novels. So it took me a while to, to think, you know, to understand like, Oh, you want to have an opinion about this? Yeah. But I, there's no place I'm giving you a finished work, you know. So yeah. I think um, so that kind of learning um, how I'm going to work together with the editor and being very upfront with the fact that, you know, some people really seek an editor to almost like not write the book with them, but to really like have their hands dirty within the work. And for me, I cannot have that when I give the editor the draft. It's basically done and of course they can edit it but you know but it's not there's no fundamental structural things like that there's no changes no no, go back and make this first person present tense kind of thing maybe maybe a section maybe a section okay you know okay but not you know of course I'm open to these ideas but it's like you it's already been created so in a sense it's yes it's just a yes or no and I fully respect if an editor is like you know what no I would 
And I've had editors, you know, when I'm shopping around a manuscript say, I love this, but I would do it like this. And then I think, yeah. well, then do it like that and give me back the manuscript. <laughs> you know? Great, great, great. Well, ah, oh, there's so many other things I want to ask you, but uh, we're, we're completely running out of time now. And if I start, what I really wanted to ask you is how much is your work influenced by your identity as a refugee, neurodivergent, queer, Jewish, mm, Ukrainian born yeah. woman? Um, and perhaps you could give me a one minute answer to that. I think that, like I said before, I don't think that uh, my identity has necessarily created my approach to writing or my approach to language. But I think um, having been in between the lines of um, being seen in terms of, um, you know, in Ukraine, in Soviet Ukraine, not being considered, you know, a native and being considered sort of a foreigner just by the fact that I was Jewish and then being a foreigner for the rest of my life everywhere else, being a foreigner foreigner to sort of the, the gender norms and to the heterosexual norms and also being a foreigner in terms of the you know, financial access. But all these things, I think, allowed me to stay a stranger to the norm and also a stranger to what is explicit. And I think that's, in general, my approach to writing is that I thrive in the implicit and I thrive in either what you can't do, what you shouldn't do, or what nobody wants you to do. (laughs) Perfect, perfect for crime fiction. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. That was just really, really interesting. And again, you know, I just love we could now just go down to the pub and have a pint of alcohol-free lager and carry on talking but uh, (laughs) you must get back to writing and I must get back to writing so uh, so enjoy your time in beautiful Norwich thank you and really great to meet you yeah thank you so much if you're ever down in Brighton call me up yeah yes I will (laughs) yeah and if you're ever in Paris oh yes yes of course (laughs) okay take care you too take care bye-bye bye A massive thank you to Julia and Yelena for that great conversation. If you have questions or want to get in touch, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Writers Centre. And you'll find us on Facebook by searching National Centre for Writing. Don't forget to sign up to our weekly newsletter by visiting nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and clicking the orange drop-down box on the homepage. As a UK-registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. You can make a donation over on the website today by hitting the support us button in the top nav. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us because it helps other writers to find the podcast. Thanks again. Keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode.